Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nate Cashdan. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. How are y'all doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to see you, and I know it's good for you to see me, so we're doing great. Um, oh, yeah, kids, have a good class. They're all going to go encounter Jesus in the next room. That's good. Um, so today is kind of a uh, it's kind of a part three message from a message where part one was in December. So I know you all have your notes from that. And then uh, April was a part two, and um, this is kind of a part three. So it's okay because they don't necessarily run together. So you don't need to like I don't remember part one of uh, preparing for revival or part two. That's okay. Um, I wasn't even going to put this in a part three, and then I realized that the Lord kind of showed me as preparing the message that it, it falls under the same umbrella. So um, just kind of worked out nicely that way. I don't usually set out to do big series like that, but apparently the Lord does. So um, I'll get on board one of these days. Um, hey, cool, exciting news uh, just for me and hopefully for you is I, uh, I wrote a book, and there it is right there. Um <laughs> It's in the, uh, yeah, it's very cool. It's actually in the printing stage of publishing right now. It should be done in six to eight weeks-ish. Um, and hopefully pre-orders will be available uh, by next Sunday. But it's, uh, it's very cool. It's, uh, <laughs> Marissa already bought hers. Yeah, she did a couple weeks ago. She's like, here, I want to be the first one to buy it. I said, oh, that's so sweet. Um, it's $100 a copy. It's... Uh, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But what's really cool is uh, um, it's called the religious spirit, identifying and destroying its influence in your life. Looks a lot at a little bit of what we're going to talk about today, um, explaining not only what the religious spirit is and where it can take its uh, its toll or have its influence, but um, also how to identify it is a big one, right? Covers a lot of what I call the fruit of the religious spirit. It follows the same principle of how we identify someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit by what? The fruit of the spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there the fruit follows. Um, and, uh, but it also, also is a sort of a guide on how to not only identify it, but to get free from its influence. Because uh, now more than ever, we don't need any uh, junk that's going to keep us from being all that the Lord has in his heart for us to be as the church. Amen? All right. Well, that's really exciting news, and um, hopefully it, it blesses you. Um, when you buy all 10 or 12 copies that you're going to buy each. I'm just kidding. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of bad news in the world, yeah? Yeah. There's a lot of good news, too. And I would actually venture to say that if you look for it, there's more good news. Kathy sent me, Kathy Wilson sent me a very cool video yesterday as I was, I was finishing my notes. Um, she sent me a video and I don't watch most of the videos that you all send me, and um, it's and seriously, I'm just being honest. It's not because I don't want to watch them, and it's not because I don't love you or trust you or anything like that. It's seriously a time issue, and uh, I've just decided to give that time to my family and not to your YouTube video. So, um, but when the Holy Spirit prompts me, which He did yesterday, 
when Kathy sent me that, the Holy Spirit said, watch it. Also, the video was only two minutes long. But, um, but I watched it, and it seriously lifted my spirits. It seriously was like a, because I went, oh, yeah. I just remembered there's more good people than bad people, and that there's more good things going on than there are bad things. But the bad things sell, and the bad things uh, are, are popular to talk about, and so we see more of it. But if you look hard enough, or if you open the word of God, or if you get alone with Jesus for a second, you can see that he hasn't changed, and he's not afraid, and he's not shocked by what's going on, and that the same things that cause righteous anger in you cause righteous anger in him, and that he hates evil more than you do, and that he hates it so much that he sent his own son to die to defeat it. That's pretty big. Many of you have probably asked the question this week, like my wife and I can, is what can we do to help, right? There's so much, and whenever crisis hits, so many believers I know, like, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? It's hard now, unless you're trained or unless you're in a position, you know, to, to go or to something, which many people are. And basically, the, some of the best ways to help besides praying and interceding, which you should definitely start there, end there as well. But you should... I mean, give to those organizations that are getting a lot of work done. Put your money where your mouth is. That's a great way to help. Um, there's other ways. My wife and I signed up to potentially take in refugee orphans. We did that yesterday. So there's, there's definitely needs for that um, that are going to be coming up. It's, and it's, and it's, a long-term, it's a long-term thing. This is going to be going on for months. Um, so yes, there's things that we can do, but if you've asked yourself, hey, what can we do? One of the things that I think we need to do is we need to prepare ourselves as the church to be not just, we, we keep talking about being ready and being prepared, but I think it's like at, at some point in time, you come to this place where you're like, okay, now we're ready to do the stuff that we've prepared for, right? And so we're, we're, we're there, right? Are we preparing for revival or are we in it? Yes. Yes. There, there's, there's, there's evidences that it's here. There's evidences that it's not here yet. So both are true. Are we preparing for disaster or are we in it? Yes. There's, there, you, can't, you, can't look at your, you can't look at what's in front of you and judge it based compared on something else alone and go, well, it's worse there, so this, we can't say that this is bad. No, it's still bad. And it, could it get worse? Yeah. Could it get better? Yes. So we don't, we don't, we don't live kind of wishy-washy going, how do I feel based on how I compare it to what's going on actually in the Middle East or how do I, or what's going on in Haiti or what's going on in Louisiana? You just, you just ask the Lord how you're supposed to feel about any given situation and you react accordingly. But all that to say, one of the ways that we can prepare ourselves as the church is to be like, almost like Lindy, Lindsay said, we're not carrying this extra baggage of offense. So what I want to talk about today is we're not carrying any religious spirits with us because what a religious spirit will do in the context of the church is it'll actually, it'll actually keep a church from being all that she's called to be. Okay? And what's worse is that what the religious spirit does, and I'll give you the definition here in a minute, but one of the things that it does is it actually, it actually makes you think that you are doing better and that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what you're doing that's actually destroying the church and those around you. So it's not even something that you could walk up to somebody and be like, hey man, you're on drugs, that's wrong. It's not like that. It's like, hey man, you're hyper-religious and you've actually blown this thing way out of what it was ever supposed to be and it's destroying the church even though it looks right from your own eyes. It's way different than just a blatant like, hey, that's wrong, that's sin. But if the devil is a deceiver, and he is, right? 
Okay, what's deception? Well, deception means you don't really know what's going on, or else it wouldn't, you wouldn't be deceived. If you're deceived, you don't know it, or else it's not deception. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, I'm not trying to deceive you. I'm just, I'm just trying to let you know. One of the things we've seen in America and across the world in the last 18 months is an increase in salvations, healings, deliverances, miracles, church attendance for those who will stay open. As the enemy tries to turn up his heat, the fire of God gets turned up even hotter. And we have to be ready as the church, first as the local church here of River in the Hills, secondarily as part of the global church, to not only hold the line, draw the line, and bring in the harvest, like Pastor Kyle talked about a couple weeks ago, but also be ready to receive into the body many, many different kinds of people from many, many different kinds of backgrounds and walks of life and experiences, okay? You're ready to receive a lot of, um, how do you say that? Non-church people. You're ready to receive a lot of wounded pre-church people, right? How many people have you talked to? They're like, eh, I don't go to church. I was hurt by the church. Of course you were hurt by the church. Church make it, I, I've been hurt by, everybody's been hurt by the church. Why? Because the church is made up of people and hurt people hurt people. It just happens. Get over it. Sorry. Now you know how I really feel about that excuse. <laughs> if you've made that excuse, well, I just, I do Jesus on my own time. I don't do church. Yeah, that's not a thing. So please join a church. And let go of offense. Right, Lindsay? Um, but we, we're not living in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, or even five years ago. Okay? We're in a new place right now in the church. And it's a new season. And if we have to learn how to live, react, minister in this season. Okay? Which means that... Sometimes we have, to re- we have to reevaluate or just evaluate. Maybe, maybe it's not a reevaluation. Maybe it's just an evaluation of kind of how we do things or maybe just take account of, hey, what's, what makes Nate Nate today? What does the Lord put in me that's useful for now? What gifts and anointings and talents do I have that need to be used today and, for, and, and in, this, in this current situation, okay? Or what, what methods have I been using that actually are methods that I maybe need to set on the shelf for now because he's giving me new methods, okay? We ought to ask those questions, okay? As we lead our neighbors, friends, coworkers, strangers, enemies to Jesus, um, we got to get them plugged into a church, okay? And so we also have to like I said earlier, we have to work on our, our believing brothers and sisters who are, who are resistant to church. One of the reasons I think that they're resistant to church is they've probably encountered a religious spirit in someone in the church. It's massive, massive, real pandemic uh, in the churches, this, this uh, infestation of the religious spirit, okay? So what is the religious spirit? When I say religious spirit, here's what I mean, and I'm going to define terms throughout this, so don't jump to too many conclusions. When I say religious spirit, I'm talking about a demon, okay? Everybody say demon. Now rebuke that demon. Now, I, listen, I'm really sorry. That reminds me of the distraction over here, me just slapping the speaker. That wasn't a prophetic act necessarily. There was a spider, big old nasty, put, it was at least this big, and I'm not, this isn't my kid describing to me how big it was. This is how, this is how big it was. And I was like, I've been given authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and spiders too. So Derek Akers would have been proud. He would have made a, a sermon, a prophetic sermon out of it. I love him. 
And, uh, but anyways, uh, if you're offended by the fact that I killed the spider, let that go, because you can't go higher with all that weight. Okay. All right. It's a demon whose assignment is to use religion to counterfeit the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The religious spirit is a demon that uses religion or religious concepts to masquerade as the Holy Spirit. Okay? Definition will make sense as we see a couple examples that we'll look at today. The rest of the examples, you're going to have to read in the book. I can't give them all to you. There's no reason to get the book. It's very easy to identify a religious spirit in a cult or a false religion, okay? It's very easy to look at the Jehovah's Witnesses and be like, oh, you changed the Bible and you don't believe Jesus is God. But you all think that we're all, they, they, you know, when they come to your door, they're like, we're all Christians. And they're like, we're all Christians. And you're like, no. Actually, it's very unloving for me to agree with you with that statement. Very unloving for me to, you know, not tell you the truth, right? But it's easy to go like, well, obviously, they, they've been deceived, Obviously, they're living in deception. There's, there's demonic influence in that. So that's easy to identify. Where it's a little more difficult to identify is in yourself and in the church and those around you, those that are following Jesus, those that are preaching the same gospel as you. Okay, but it's there. All right, and this isn't to be confused, and I'll talk about a little bit later with what, what I call a religious mindset, okay, which is not a demon, but rather a way of thinking or a philosophy. So, um, but I'll, I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, I've seen the religious spirit do a lot of damage in the church in my, through me, a lot of it through me. That's where I've learned the most about it is through my own, um, experience with the religious spirit. And it's not that I believe that I'm hundred percent free and immune, uh, from ever being influenced by religious spirit again. Don't, don't hear me there, but, um, I have done much study on it. Um, and, uh, and I have a very, very, um, very strong passion to see it totally expelled from the church. Let's just say that. Um, usually, when a person in the church realizes that they are under the influence of religious spirit, it means that they've come to a point of humility where they're ready to get rid of it. Okay? If you're dealing with a religious spirit and you don't know it, <laughs> you're going to have a really hard time hearing that truth from someone else. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, man, I think you've got a religious spirit. I'll tell you, the first thing that religious spirit's going to do is put up a defense. The very first thing, I've, I've done it over and over and over and over again, and I've seen it over and over and over and over again. It doesn't matter necessarily how low you come to that person. Are you feeling me here? Like, there's so much love and so much humility. A lot of times that spirit will just throw up that defense and it'll, and it'll just cause an offense. Now, not always. Sometimes people are receptive, but when they're receptive and that, that amount of humility is there, that, because that's all it takes. That's the key to freedom. I just gave away the end of the book. The key to freedom is humility. If that ounce is there, then there's, that's all you need. Everybody can get freedom and breakthrough from it. But we have to start by identifying the religious spirit. We identify it by its fruit, right? Galatians 5, and 23 tells us about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
when you see these things, the Holy Spirit isn't far off. Well, there's a lot of things that, uh, that I refer to as the fruit of the religious spirit, and the same thing. When you see those things, the religious spirit's probably not far off. Are they listed in Scripture? No, not, necess- not by verse or by word. We more look at stories and draw conclusions based on principles um, um, to, get to, to get to this point. I'm going to read you a story here. If you want to read with me, turn to Luke chapter 10. It's a familiar story, but hopefully we'll look at some new aspects of it today. Um, at least that's the goal. Okay, the story of the Good Samaritan. How many of you heard this story, read the story? It's okay to raise your hand. I'm going to leave mine up until you raise yours. All right. How many of you heard this story on a flannel graph in Baptist Sunday School or Methodist Sunday School? Yeah. How many of you don't know what a flannel graph is? Yep, that's what I thought. Flannel graph is how I learned a lot. Actually, I still have a lot of images of the flannel graph in my head. This story of the Good Samaritan, and I want you to read it and uh, or follow along with me here, and then we're going to talk about, talk about how this might relate to us today, okay? It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So which of these three, Jesus is talking here, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. When I first heard this story, and oftentimes when I hear things taught out of this, there's a lot to glean from this story, but I hear that two men passed the traveler, before a third stop, and then a lot of emphasis on who the third person was, right? This is a Jewish man who's traveling. It's assumed to be a Jewish man who's traveling, who gets beat up. This was not uncommon, unfortunately, stripped and left on the road. The focus of this story, in my opinion, because I believe Jesus discerned a religious spirit in the expert of the law who was asking the question, who was genuinely, I think it was a genuine question, when, when it's put up against the questions that the Pharisees would ask him that were trying to trip him up, trying to get him to answer incorrectly or to, to basically contradict himself. That's why they asked him questions. This expert, I think, actually really wanted to know. That's why he asked so many follow-up questions, okay? But I believe that, the, that Jesus discerned this in him, which is why he told the story. And the emphasis of this story, in my opinion, is not that two men passed him, but who the two men were that passed him, okay? Who was the first person that passed this guy on the side of the road was what? A priest, a pastor, Okay, I'm reading into the story a little bit, but I'm sure he was late for something, some sort of religious duty that he had, right? 
and, it, and he went by. Who is the second person that passed? A Levite. You say, well, aren't Levites and priests the same thing? No, not necessarily. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Nonetheless, it was a man that should have known better, a religious man that should have stopped, a fellow Jew. And he walked by, no doubt because he had something that he had to get to or tend to on his way. And the third person, the guy that actually stopped, the Samaritan, who actually had every political and social reason to walk by. Not only were they hated by the Jews, and the Jews were hated by them, but more they were hated by the Jews. The hate was way more one-sided. But also, there was, no, there was no social responsibility for him to do anything. There was no religious responsibility for him to do anything. And he stopped, and out of his own pocket, not only helped him in the moment, but actually helped him recover in the days and maybe even weeks to come. The emphasis isn't so much that two men passed, but who the two men were that passed. You see, where this really hit home for me was about 10 years ago when I was driving to church uh, with Kaylee, and uh, it was just us. We were driving to church, and we had about a 20-minute drive. And on the side of the road, there was a family that had probably a blown tire or something like that. I stop for people all the time that have, you know, car troubles or whatever. But this family loose a little ragtag, right? Um, and I saw them coming up on the highway, and, I, and the Holy Spirit was like, you got green light to stop, man. You got everything in your truck that they need to get them back on the road. And I was like, yeah, but I'll be late for church. And I had a real, if you know me, I'm, I'm a stickler for time because I believe that being late is rude. And I believe it's, I believe it's, uh, it's irresponsible. But, and my dad always taught me, right, that to be on time is to be late, to be early is to be on time. So I've got that and I'm going, what are people going to think about me if I, the person that preaches all this, if I show up late to church? And I'm going to be like, no, I was helping this family. And they're going to be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, helping. The, so that's why, that's why I'm always late every Sunday, too, is I'm helping a family. And I was like, and, and so I just, whoosh, right by him. Didn't want to be late for church. I learned my lesson. I remember one time after that, I was driving, and uh, I passed a homeless guy that was just walking. I'd seen him around before. He wasn't, he wasn't thumbing it. He was just walking, um, and uh, I passed him. Probably wanted to make myself feel better, so said a little prayer for him. Got to church, felt so convicted. I got back in my truck. And went and went after him. I was just like, "What? Am, what am I? What are we doing? What are we doing? You know, like where's where's the priority?" And then that's when I started to realize when the Lord started to reveal these things to me that I had a religious spirit. That I the fruit that was manifesting in that moment, and the fruit that manifested in the priest and the Levite was a lack of mercy. That's one of the fruits of the religious spirit.
Jesus instructed us to feed and clothe the poor. He even said that when we give something away as small as a drink of water, that we're ministering to him. If we've grown too religious to do those things, we've missed the point. The religious spirit will manifest itself in that way many times. One more story. Turn to Mark chapter 3. Just going to read verses 1 through 6 here. Speaking of Jesus, another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. God forbid. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful? Because he knew the thoughts. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Another fruit of the religious spirit is called fault-finding. These men were so, they, they got up early and sharpened their pencil to make sure they'd be able to identify everything that was wrong about what this guy Jesus said. No intent to hear anything other than something that went against their own presupposition. That was the only thing their ears were opened up to. They went looking to get offended so that they would be justified in the way that they felt and what they wanted to do, which was kill him. But they needed a reason. That's why they kept trying to, to tee him up, to stumble in his questions. They wanted to be able to feel justified. They wanted to be able to feel like they were doing their religious duty and standing up for Yahweh and the way that they did that was they looked for fault. Right here, they're looking for fault. They're, they're so dead set on following the influence of the religious spirit that they missed the fact that a guy with a shriveled hand didn't have a shriveled hand anymore. Can you imagine? Some of you can, because you've seen it. This guy came in crippled. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand. Shouldn't the reaction have been, <gasps> Surely this is the Messiah. Surely he is who he says he is. They went, look, he healed on the Sabbath. That's all we needed. He's breaking God's law. Where does this apply to us? Because surely we would never do anything like that. Surely we would never. Let me tell you my story. Because I'm not going to call it out in you because you're not going to listen to me. No, it's okay. I don't see it in any of y'all anyways. I'm just saying, years ago, you, you, some of you know my story, just the kind of the, the old beliefs that I used to have, but I used to really spend a lot of my time bashing Joel Osteen. I usually, when I share this story, I don't actually say who I was bashing, but I just trust y'all, and maybe he'll watch this one day. Um. 
But I would spend a lot of time talking about how horrible of a person. He's not really saved. He has homosexuals in his church. He has Muslims in his church. I would say all the, he's, he doesn't ever talk about sin. And I'd blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. I'd never actually heard a sermon by Joel Osteen before. Never. Never heard him. Never, didn't even know what he sounded like. Knew what he looked like, seen a picture of him. Read a couple quotes. Never, but I, but I was around a lot of people that were saying all this stuff, and I, and I was, I'd sharp my pencil every morning to go find fault in people that whose beliefs didn't line up with mine, or how I wanted them to, and I would rip him apart. I would said the worst things about him, and then I was laying in the hospital, dying, one day, and. Uh, just so sick of, you know, being sick. And I turned on the TV. <laughs> yeah, this is my Bible. I was, and I, so I watched his whole message. I turned it on right at the beginning. I watched his whole message. Never heard him speak before. And uh, the Lord said, you can imagine what he said. He was really gentle with me. But he said, <clears throat> obviously it changed my life. I wrote about it. You can read the whole testimony in the book. <laughs> but... But the Lord said, you know, that's my son. He said, because uh, this, this is how I needed to hear that. But I said, he said, how would you feel if somebody talked about Zeb the way you talked about my son? What? There's a spider. He said it again. He said, he's my bride. How would you feel if somebody talked about Kaylee the way that you talk about him? So I repented. And I was actually really moved by his message. And, uh, I stopped all because Joel Osteen wasn't the only bride that I bashed. I call it bride bashing when we tear down other brothers and sisters because they believe differently than we do. He wasn't the only one that I'd done that with, and uh, but I stopped. I didn't instantly start agreeing with all these people. That's not it. But I sure started to try to love them and treat them like brides and sons. had a religious spirit and it evidenced itself in my life with the fruit of fault finding how many of you you don't need to raise your hand because i'm sure you've repented of this how many of you have gone to church and waited for the lyrics on the screen to be wrong how many of you have gone to church and you don't like the worship team so you wait for them to hit a wrong note 
you wait for them to mess up the lyrics of a song that they're singing? How many of you have a beef with the pastor, but you're disguising it as, um, I think the Lord is drawing us in another direction, but actually you're just offended at something the pastor said, so you go to try to get more offended at church so that you're justified in leaving the church, even though God didn't actually call you anywhere except to the pastor's door so you guys could talk. How many of you have gone into situations looking to find fault so that you'd feel justified and the outcome that you've already determined is going to be the best outcome for the situation? That is a fruit of the religious spirit that we have no room for. Amen? You have no room for that in your life. I have no room for that in my life. You can have a religious mindset without being influenced by a demon. You can have a religious way of thinking, or you can fall into a, a sin like fault finding or a sin like lack of mercy without being influenced by a demon. But here's the problem. If you leave that, if you keep that religious mindset and philosophy, then you keep opening up a door and inviting the enemy to come in. And that's where it can be bad. First Peter 5, 8, and 9, it exhorts us, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around pretending to be a lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. In these days we live in, we don't have time to entertain a religious mindset or a religious spirit. They're going to, that it's one of the reasons why people are so offended at church. Religion. When I minister to people, strangers, I'll see them, I'll say, hey, man, you should come to my home group. Or, hey, man, you should come to church. And they're like, oh, I'm not religious. I said, neither am I. I hate religion. And they're like, aren't you a pastor? I'm like, yeah. Are you allowed to hate religion? I'm like, what do you mean when you say religion? I mean, it's a really good opener. People always talk to me. When I talk to Christians and I say I hate religion, they try to correct me and tell me, like, well, you know that you're part of a religion. Well, that's just a religious spirit talking. <laughs> no, it's okay. I don't mean to belittle or anything like that. I'm not trying to change your terminology. Worship team, can you come up to rescue me? <laughs> a church on fire for Jesus only has room for the true work of the Holy Spirit, not a demon masquerading as the Holy Spirit, not a group of demons trying to, trying to gain allegiance to ideologies that are only going to lead to destruction. The best lies contain the most truth. The best lies contain the most truth. That means that one of the greatest deceptions in the church is to, feel, is to fill somebody with a spirit that they think is the Holy Spirit and have it actually not be. To, feel, to have somebody, um, I should say that differently, to have somebody moving in a spirit that they think is, is, is from the Holy Spirit, right? They're, they're behaving in a way that they think, oh, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants me to stand up and find fault in my pastor. The Holy Spirit wants me to take this group of people to lunch and talk about the bad direction that I think the church is going so that we can start a gossip train. The Holy Spirit wants me to get on social media randomly and start tearing this person down. 
The whole, because I'm standing up for what's right. The Holy Spirit wants me to get to church on time and pass all these homeless people that need food and water and a ride. The Holy Spirit wants me to do it. And there's more and more and more and more. But a lot of the times, or all of the time, the answer to that type of thinking and the answer to that influence from the, if, it's a, if it's a demon of religion, how we get to the place where we're ready to get free is humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. When I came to it, not that I'm like this picture of humility, I'm just saying I'm more humble now than I was then. So if you say something like I'm the most humble person I know, it's not a good place to start. But when I, I remember when I first went, Lord, this is what my humility looked and sounded like. Lord, I don't know anymore. And God was like, perfect. That's exactly where I need you, not knowing. Because as soon as you know, you won't learn. As soon as you go, I already, I already got everything that I need to know about that, then there's actually no room to glean anything else from what the Lord might have you to have. But if you remain humble before him, if you remain open, if you remain in communication with him, and he can show you things that you don't even know to ask for. It wasn't until I said, Lord, I don't know that I even knew. And I didn't know it was called a religious spirit. I was just like, I was like, I'm, I'm too prideful. I think I know everything about everything. I was the guy that went to church waiting for the band to mess up. I was the guy that went, if you didn't know that, all those stories were about me. I was the guy that went waiting for the lyrics to be wrong. Now, in there, in there is something good. Do you see it? Spirit of excellence. But the devil takes it and flips it, and he, he destroys it. What's in me that desires excellence, especially in God's house. I'm not the guy that's like, hey, we got leftover crap. Let's take it to the church. I'm like, let's go buy brand new stuff so that we can get rid of all the leftover crap that people brought to the church. Right? I want excellence in God's house. But where the Holy Spirit was, was driving me for excellence, I thought that this religious spirit that actually twisted it and made me find fault and have no mercy and try to try to disrupt and dislodge and bring disunity, I thought that was God. It was the wrong spirit. It can manifest the same way, though. Would you stand with me? Humility is the key to freedom because the root of every religious mindset and religious spirit is pride. I would say pride is the root of all sin. If we can humble ourselves and say, all right, I don't know. I'm going to remain teachable. I'm going to remain unoffended. One of the things that keeps us offended is actually the desire to understand. Well, I need to know why they think. I need to make sure they don't think about me that way. I need to know why they think that I said that. I need, I just need, you know, I need to go make, I need to explain, explain, explain. You don't always need to. People are going to hate you, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. If you want prayer this morning, or if you just want to, I, let me rephrase. I'd like the worship team to play or sing or whatever y'all had planned. And if you'd like 
just to encounter the Lord and look for freedom from anything that the Holy Spirit showed you this morning. Maybe he showed you that you've been struggling with a religious spirit or a religious mindset. There's total freedom and deliverance right now. If you haven't already experienced it while sitting there in your chair, there's total freedom and experience, or to experience, total deliverance to experience right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go think about it and make sure that you spend a week figuring out how you're going to confess and repent. It's not how it works. You can just do it right now and just come to Jesus. If you'd like prayer for anything, if you'd like prayer for healing, for deliverance from something else you're struggling with, breakthrough in your life, or maybe just the heaviness of everything that's been going on in the world has gotten to you and you need to hold hands with a brother or sister and say, help me to break through this, that's what we meet together for. So we can get through the days where we're not meeting together. I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with meeting together more either. But I want you to take advantage of these next few minutes. You come forward, the altar's open. And I'm just going to pray for us as you do. Holy Spirit, I thank you for speaking this morning individually. That, Father, that we have to trust you, Lord, that you're going to speak to each of us individually. Father, I thank you for showing me in the past and continuing to show me where I've let religious mindsets and religious spirits reign in my own life. Father, we have no time and no room for these things. We have no time and no room for lack of mercy, for fault finding, for giving more emphasis to the traditions of the elders than to what you are saying. We have no time to be sitting and sulking in our own pride. Spirit of humility, come right now. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your radical love for us, that you're not mad, that this didn't take you by surprise. Father, even with how horrible I have been to my own brothers and sisters, the way that you even remind me of such things is in such a sweet and gentle and not angry way. One that makes me realize those who have been forgiven much, love much. Thank you for your radical forgiveness. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.